With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. And I'm voice cracking, apparently, now to start shows. That's where we're at at this point in my life. Adam Spinella is here. And it is a mock draft podcast. If you're clicking the podcast link, you know this already. If you're clicking the link on YouTube, you know this already. What we're going to do here is we're going to go back and forth. We're going to trade picks and we're going to select the top 30 players as of January 15th in the 2023 NBA draft. Adam, what's going on, man? Hey, Sam. Always good to see you. I'm glad I got Hat Vicini here tonight. For those of you who are <laughs> tuning in on YouTube and can see the video, we, we love Hat Vicini. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's the right time to be doing this exercise, Sam, because we're yes. a, a couple uh, couple games into conference play, a few weeks into that action. And I always like to wait until this period of time to get a really firm grasp on where prospects belong on boards because conference play is so much more driven on taking away strengths and weaknesses of opponents, trying to exploit different things. Scouting reports are so much more in depth and in tune with the system that they're facing that you really get a better feel for maybe some of the warts that prospects might have or how they know how to overcome it really quickly. I think that's such a good point. And also we're a little bit over halfway through the draft cycle now, it feels like not quite there, but like we're, we're closing in on what the draft is going to look like at least. But before we get into the draft, how was your weekend? How, how is everything going? Adam? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Everything's good. Uh, this was a, one of those rare weekends where uh, we don't play a game on a Monday. So usually what happens for our basketball team here, we play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which means we come in and have a full practice on Sunday, and then I'm scouting, you know, the opponents for the week ahead all day on Saturday. But with MLK Day on Monday, we're not playing until Tuesday, which kind of gave an extra day to like sit my ass on the couch and just watch sports all day on Saturday. There you go. Uh, my wife was gone traveling for a work conference, so it was literally like a good old fashioned boys' weekend of three screens <laughs> of sports going on from noon to midnight. I, it's the happiest I've been in a very long time. How's your weekend, Sam? It was good. I, I did the double tar weekend. Uh, I watched Avatar on Friday night. And then yesterday I watched Tar, the Cape Blanchett movie. So I double tarred. Both very good. Uh, the Cape Blanchett Tar is one of the best movies I've seen in the last couple of years. So I would probably prefer that. But Avatar is also like, I- I've never seen anything like that. Uh, in a movie theater. It's one of the craziest movie-going experiences you can have right now, but I'm sure that we will talk about that later on at some point down the road uh, once you eventually see any of these movies, which I don't even know if you will. Let's be clear. Uh, Okay, so before we jump into mock drafting, I want to give an overall view of this draft class. Right now, where I'm at with the 2023 NBA draft is this is a great draft through the lottery. We obviously have two legitimate potential number one overall picks, on a normal draft basis in Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. I'm sure that 
you know, we'll talk about that as this goes. I will also say that this draft through the lottery is showing to be very good. Uh, I've seen some people say there's, you know, potentially eight all-stars, you know, something like that in this class. I, I don't know if like the NBA team side feels that way. They do really like the depth in this draft class, but I wouldn't quite go that far, at least through the lottery. They like the depth. And then once you get into that, you know, beyond 20 range, NBA teams do really feel like there is potentially going to be a drop-off. Now, there is a lot of time for some players like Donovan Klingon, like Jordan Walsh, you know, like Terrence Arsenault, guys that haven't quite emerged yet to the point where I think NBA teams would feel very confident about drafting them and plopping them down in the NBA, even within a developmental ecosystem. But they have a chance to get there at some point. And I think that trying to assess the depth of a draft class at this point can be a bit difficult because you also never know, especially in the NIL era, what guys are going to decide that, you know, it's worth another developmental year. You know, I bring up someone like Jordan Walsh. I think Jordan Walsh is one of the best perimeter defenders in this class, just straight up right now. He's a teenager and he's absolutely unbelievable at it. His offensive game is nowhere near ready to play in the NBA. Does he decide to do another year at Arkansas or does he decide that he just wants to go pro? I, I don't know what the answer to that's going to be. You know, Julian Phillips is another guy. He's been really, really good lately, but the shot is a mess right now. Like we mess, just need to yeah. be real about that. Like, does he decide to go pro or does he decide to hone his skills in another year at Tennessee making six figures in all likelihood, given the way that the NIL ecosystem has developed over the course of the last two years, it'll be really interesting. I think that there are a number of different players that could really help the depth of this class. But right now I think there is a pretty real chance that we look at this class and see something like, 20, 22, 25 guys that are like legit first round picks. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I was doing an exercise earlier this week in preparation for our podcast here and going back uh, to do a mock draft. And I kind of thought that there were about 17 guys that I would consider being lottery type of prospects on any given year. And that's a pretty good number. I think that's a really good number, which shows the depth, at least at the top end of, of this class. Mm -hmm. And I think that there may be less separation between guy that you would have number three and a guy that you would have number 17 than in most years. But after that mark, there's still a lot to be learned about this class, whether it's who declares and who doesn't, as well as, you know, who continues to get better over the next month and a half to two months to put themselves in position to round out the, the next 13 picks to, to make sure we have a full 30 in the first round. That's what I'm waiting to be seen on. I think that that also helps determine the depth of a class, right? It's not just, are you going to get a lot of high level production from picks one through 20? It's, are there role players, developmental guys that you feel confident in taking in the later part of the first round as well? And I'm not quite sold on that yet. I agree in general with that. I also, part of this, part of the issue this year for me as well is that typically there are a lot of upperclassmen that stand out at a really high level 
that you think can come in relatively early as like later first round picks, right? Someone like a Walker Kessler, someone like a Herb Jones, someone like a Trey Murphy, even though Trey Murphy didn't play a crazy amount until later in the season last year. Uh, they're just, it feels like aren't a ton of older guys that it looks like are genuinely going to be high level players. It feels like kind of a depleted, you know, junior and senior guard and wing class in this 2023 NBA draft, which means that teams near the end of the draft board might end up just swinging for upside and seeing what plays out over the next few years. I think that a lot of those guys that end up going in that 20 to 30 range are probably going to be more developmental as opposed to guys in your Desmond Bain mold, your, you know, Herb Jones, as I mentioned, you know, et cetera, guys like that. So we'll have to see how that plays out over the process. And that's going to impact which freshmen end up declaring for the draft. Do they feel like there's more of an opportunity and therefore we see more one and dones who might not typically be ready for that type of role? Or does that just mean they return to school, continue to bet on themselves for next year, and maybe that 25 to 30 range is in a spot that most teams want to be in? Okay. So for a structure here, uh, we're going to go back and forth. I'm going to go number one because I think you went number one last time. Am I right? I believe that's right. Right. I think so. At, at this point, it's the Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini, not with Adam Spinella. So I think yeah, number one yeah. belongs with you. Okay. Um, in terms of time, we're just going to go as long as we can, I think. It's, you know, we're not going to go for four hours, but we're, you know, these end up being longer podcasts. Just right. know that, like, that's going to happen. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest before we go here? No, I think so. I think that's about it there, setting the stage with the draft class. Again, I I know one and two are are pretty predictable here, but I think that a lot of intrigue is going to happen from picks like three to eight, three to nine, and that's going to be where we might spend the most of our time talking tonight. I think that's dead on. Okay, with the number one overall pick, last thing actually now that I think about it, (laughs) no teams here. We're not talking anything like that. We're, we're, we're not picking, you know, Victor Wembenyama here at number one for the Houston Rockets. Right. We're picking these guys in just one through 30 order, kind of, in terms of who we trust, who we don't. Yep. It gets way too complicated when we start trying to assess team fits, everything like that. In January, when the season is half over, there are going to be teams that start tanking here probably in the next month. The draft order is probably going to shift a little bit. Yep. Okay. There's also a lottery. Next. The number one overall pick. Let's um, let's jump in. With the number one overall pick, I'm going to take Victor Wembanyama, the seven foot four French center uh, who has a near eight foot wingspan, who is a genuine shot creator uh, as a perimeter player at that size in a way that we have never seen. Victor Wembanyama is an entirely novel prospect. This is not to say he is the best prospect in the history of basketball. I don't think that that would be accurate. I think that LeBron was a better prospect. I would venture, you know, I haven't seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, I've seen highlights of Kareem and I've found as many as I can to try and contextualize Victor Wembanyama. but I didn't watch the guy play live. I'm not going to sit here and pretend. I would imagine Kareem uh, slash Lou Alcindor was probably a better prospect. But the skills that Victor Wembanyama has are unlike anything that we've ever seen enter the NBA previously. He is a seven foot four center 
who is comfortable handling the ball, breaking down guys off the bounce by stringing together multiple moves and creating three-point opportunities that way. Uh, he is someone that you can throw the ball to in the mid post and he can just shoot over the top. He has a very high release point, not only from being seven foot four, but also because he uses his length really well with that release point to be able to get it up over people. I really, really like everything I've seen from him offensively this year outside of the passing and playmaking, I think can be a little bit, a little bit slow at times, but I think that that will come along as the rest of his game blossoms and matures defensively. I know that there was a clip uh, earlier last week where Eve Pons like blew by him for a dunk and just out leveraged him. Look, he's a seven foot four center. Like that's going to happen. It's just going to, it's going to happen to every seven, seven footer in the NBA. It happens to freaking Jaron Jackson sometimes, right? Like Jaron Jackson's the best defensive player in the league. Sometimes he gets beat. Victor Wembanyama has great, awareness and understanding of how to use angles, I think defensively uh, and how to use his length to be able to recover and contest shots, to be able to use anticipatory rotations, to be able to come down to the rim and contest shots. Uh, Do I think he is some crazy switch defender out on the perimeter? I don't, but I also don't think he's going to get cooked out there all the time. And also he's going to provide you with such a tremendous marginal advantage on the offensive end because of his floor spacing, because of his shot creation that like, th- there's no concern here about him not being able to play in the playoffs as a center. Uh, he, he is the real deal as a big, is a big prospect at the very least, not to say he's like, you know, a no doubt or hall of famer or anything. There are injury, you know, past injury concerns here. He hasn't dealt with anything this year, which is a really good sign. But in general, Victor Wembanyama, very clearly the best prospect in this class, arguably the best prospect since LeBron James. I do want to dive a little bit deeper into Anthony Davis before I 100% make that assessment, because that was, I think, a year or two years before I started doing this professionally. But Victor Wembanyama, number one overall pick in this mock draft. I think your job is going to be safe, Sam, that the ownership won't fire you after making that type of pick number one overall. Um, Look, look, he he instantly changes the trajectory of any franchise he walks into because he can provide so much help on the defensive end, and he's got this cheat code ability to score one-on-one in late clock situations with turnaround jumpers, with length and self-creation from the perimeter, the ability to spin from the elbow and get to the basket. He's... He's the real deal in that regard. And I, I think that his ceiling is so monstrously high that you can't really consider going with anybody else, number one overall. Okay, Adam, you are up at number two. As I am, and, and this one's another pretty easy pick right here. I think it's Scoot Henderson for the G League Ignite. No surprises, one and two, with where these guys are at in the class. If it weren't for Victor Wim and Yama, I think Scoot Henderson is a contender to be number one overall type of pick in Basically, any draft class. Really big hands, good athlete at six foot three for a point guard, lives in the lane when he wants to, but plays at multiple types of speed, can go from slow to slow to fast and fast to slow, converts at the basket, has this contortionist last step to be able to, to finish around bigs as well as over the top and through help defenders. Tremendous passer. His balance for knowing when to score and when to kick is really high level. 
I think what has continued to open up some of those passing avenues isn't just the burst that he plays with to get to the basket and finish there, but the unbelievable reliability of his mid-range pull-up, that it forces bigs who play center field coverage or really deep drops to not have success in doing so. They step up more to him, and as a result, he can get to that second level at the basket and make the right decision for everybody on his team. We've seen some improvement from him as a three-point jump shooter. I'd like to continue to see it in higher volume, but as he just works on that aspect of his game in the half court, he's very, very complete as a high-volume pick-and-roll handler and an offensive engine. I think he'll be a good defender because he's you know, athletic, he's smart, he can tune in at the point of attack and really disrupt some things. I love his competitiveness. I love his spirit. I think he's got a really, really high ceiling on both ends of the floor. I'm huge, hugely in on Scoot. I totally agree. I love the competitiveness. I think this is a good question from Seasons in Sloan in the YouTube comments. Uh, I know you said no specific teams for this mock, but if the Pistons hypothetically get the second overall pick, is Scoot Henderson still the clear choice with Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham in the backcourt already? My, my answer to this is like unequivocally yes. yes uh, yeah. I would take Scoot Henderson. I think he is very close to what I had Cade Cunningham as as a prospect and I had loved Cade pre-draft uh, I think he's a level he's a tier above Jaden Ivey as a prospect he's just a lot more polished and developed yeah. as a ball handler as a passer as a pick and roll playmaker I think that you just take the guy at the end of the day you, you take the guy that is way way ahead I will say and again like you just don't to me like you don't draft for fit at number two when your team is as bad as the Pistons have been yep. so far this year. And obviously Cade is out. And I think that played a significant role in this, but you, look, I love Cade Cunningham. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet that he's a number one guy. Like I love him. I think that he is going to be like a 25, seven and seven player long-term, but I can't guarantee you that. And they need to keep taking bites at the apple and keep taking chances on guys that have that kind of upside. And also, here's the other thing. We're going to get into some of these guys later. Look, who are you going to take instead? Amen Thompson is a ball handler. At the end of the day, you run into the same issues that you would run into with Scoot. Brandon Miller doesn't have this upside. Like, it's just like right. not even. Right. It, like, I, I really like Brandon and we're going to talk about Brandon. But like, there you just can't take him over Scoot. No, like the upside is not there as a ball handler, pick and roll playmaker, anything. And again, like we're going to talk about Brandon and some stuff I really like about him. But like, you just can't do it. So it's a no doubter for me. Um, a person in the YouTube comments asked, "Do you take him at number two if you're Oklahoma City?" Unequivocally, yes. Yeah. To me, like you just take him and you have too much talent. Like yeah. I know Oklahoma city has done this thing where they tend to draft guys that have elite positional size plus skill level. You can make a case that scoot at six foot two does not always fit that paradigm. But again, he has enormous hands. He has great length. He is an elite physical athlete. Uh, I think that he would be a like tremendous combination with Josh Giddy in the backcourt. And I think that, Again, you just get the guys who can play. When you have Shea and Giddy who are as big as they are and can slide down to the two and the three defensively, yeah, you just make it work. 
No doubt about it there, Sam. Uh, I, I love Scoot. Again, I think he's got the intangibles to me make him really invaluable in, in that regard, that it, whatever system team you want to ask him to come into, he's going to be good enough to deserve pick and roll reps and be a number one type of offensive option, but he can find ways to coexist with other stars. We, we saw it a little bit last year with the Ignite when he got there and Hardy and Daniels were already on that roster. He found ways to blend a little bit more in the background and just kind of make it all about the team instead of just about him. I, I, I'm, I'm really high on Scoot. Okay, number three. I'm going to go Amen Thompson here. Is this what you would do? I You've done the Amen Thompson yeah. scouting video. I did watch it now that I'm done. I, I've done like the Amen Thompson draft guide profile. So I feel a little bit better about like watching your videos now. Sure. Um, how, how do you feel about Amen? Because I know that in your video, you, you pointed out a lot of very real flaws that I also kind of agree with, but just can't surpass it at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the... As I've continued to grapple with Amen, I do have him third. He is the guy that I would have taken here. Uh, I think the first step in the athleticism is just too blistering when you had his level of playmaking and handle to it, uh, that he's going to be able to live in the lane at the NBA level because he's just kind of that elite in that regard. And you can teach other aspects of his game around it. Do I worry about the jump shot? Yeah, of course I do. Do I think that he's got some defensive habits that, absolutely have to improve and, and that he plays way too upright on both ends of the floor. Yeah. That's, that's a small challenge for me that, that does limit some things. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I do have this belief that at least on the offensive end of the floor, if you're going to be a primary creator, you've got to find ways to get into the paint and draw multiple defenders. And his yeah. first step is just so damn blistering that That's regardless it. of what role you're going to ask him to do, whether it's pick and rolls, whether it's downhill creation, just attacking off closeouts somehow, he's going to get in the lane, draw multiple defenders, and either convert or make the right decision. It's I think that his closest comparable is Russell Westbrook. Yeah. I think that that's actually where I'm at with this. Like, there are real concerns. We're going to talk about the shooting here in a second. But he's a walking paint touch in the same way that Russ was or like developed into by year two in the NBA. Um, he is genuinely a walking paint touch in terms of you can't stay in front of him. He is too explosive, especially once you get him in the open court. Like he is going to be a great outlet option and he is going to sprint and he's going to go and he's going to create points that way, both with his handle, with his explosiveness as a leaper and with his passing. Uh in terms of the passing ability, in terms of like the skill level, I think he's a tremendous live dribble passer. Uh, he can throw them with either hand, one-handed, off the bounce. He loves to throw skip passes, which are going to be there in even greater numbers uh, in the NBA, given how open the court is going to be and given how much shooting uh, is going to be on the court at the next level. Uh you know, OTE is a little bit different than college. The court is not as condensed in even the half court setting, but I'm a big believer in Amen Thompson, just being able to walk into the NBA, get paint touches. Having said that, I think he's smart in ball screens. I think his handle needs to tighten up a little bit in ball screens. I think he could stand to take better advantage of his six foot seven frame and be able to get guys on his back, be able to get guys on his hip, Maintain that advantage. That'll come as he gets stronger, I think, through his body. Uh, additionally, 
I like the way he finishes. I think he's a positive finisher. Uh, obviously, the explosive leaping ability allows him to just rise up and throw down dunks a lot of the time. But moreover, like he has real touch. Like he can throw English on the ball and finish around guys. I think a sore probably has actually a little bit better of a finishing package than a man, if I'm being completely honest. But a man is twitchier. I think he has a little bit more body control to be able to like get around guys and create angles at a higher level i think he's absolutely terrific uh as a finisher while also acknowledging that i think sometimes he can over over index for that is maybe the way to put it um he'll like over english the ball and like sometimes we'll try and do too much and create like a crazy finish when there's probably an easier one on the table for him at the end of the day. And I think that's what a sore balance is really, really well in comparison to a man. Um, the shooting. I don't think he can shoot. I, I don't think he can shoot. And that's a significant problem. I will say these kids are crazy workers. Like they, they really, really get after it. They work hard. They're all about basketball. Like they want to figure it out. A man wants to figure out how to shoot. He can't do it right now. Like, and look, here's the other thing too. You can see throughout the beginning of the year, uh, throughout last year, up until now, that they're clearly like working on it. Like they're making mechanical changes in a really like on the fly kind of like they're, they're working with trainers there. They're, they're trying to make the shot work. And I think that's why sometimes we see the inconsistency in terms of results, right? he also just the ball doesn't come out of his hand. Great. Like it just doesn't, it feels a little flat. It feels like there's less touch. Like even when a sore shoots, like I don't love a sore's mechanics that change and look a little bit robotic from time to time. And we'll talk about him in a minute, but like the ball comes out a little bit cleaner with a sore. So I don't totally know what to do with that with Amen yet, but the explosiveness that he has I think gives him the highest upside of anyone remaining. I can't emphasize enough. Like he's going to enter the NBA as one of the five best athletes in the NBA. It's like John Morant, like who who else? (laughs) Like there's like Zach Levine is not on that level anymore uh, in terms of athleticism. Like it's, you know, Russell Westbrook is not on that level athletically anymore. It's it's that level in terms of what he will be once he gets to the NBA. It's, you know, Anthony Edwards, maybe like you could say the combination of like power and explosiveness. You know, J- Jalen Brown has that power explosiveness combo, but the twitchiness is different with a man. It's yeah. it's hard to over it's hard to overemphasize how elite he is athletically, I think. Yeah. You know, comparisons aren't things that I love to do all the time, but like to me, he's the love child of Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons in some regard of like the, mm. the size, the positioning, the fluidity of, of how he moves is getting downhill all the time. Like lack of a jump shot. Those guys were all stars, man. Like Simmons may have had more hurdles uh, as his career continued, but the ability to just get in the lane and either finish or make the right decision for your team is super, super valuable. And his athleticism just gives him a lot more leeway to figure out how to work through some of the problems that he has than anyone else. That's the reality of the situation. It's why he's number three for me. It's why you 
likely ended up taking him number three. Yep. Okay, you're up at number four, Adam. I am, and a very timely kind of pick on my end here because I know there was some discussion about this player uh, in the online spaces this past weekend. I'm going to go with Brandon Miller out of Alabama, number four overall. Uh, It's a little bit of a change for me. I'd had him a little bit lower in the lottery coming into the last couple weeks. The consistency with which he shoots the basketball, playing in a well-spaced offense and and something that – tends to replicate a lot of what we see at the NBA level, has me incredibly intrigued. Uh, I I think that he is really good off movement. He's an underrated guy at facilitating the pick and roll and knowing how to play with pace to force switches to get other people open, that there's a lot of unexplored space with his handle in a lot of different regards. Uh, I saw a little bit more of a desire from him to get downhill and attack last weekend and get Kentucky that had me really enthused that he's going to continue to work on the aspects of his game that aren't great right now, which is efficiency in terms of getting to the basket and converting when he's there at really being a a high level playmaker for others and not turning the ball over a ton. And in being able to, to slide his feet a ton defensively against really, really quick guys. If he plays more of a perimeter role in the NBA, I think that there's room for growth in every single one of those areas while being six foot nine, six, 10, and a fantastic shooter. So uh, I'm I'm just really high on Brandon's blend of ability to fit into any type of system that he would play in at the NBA level and have some semblance of self-creation that he can tap into as he continues to get older, get stronger, and a little bit more mature. Okay, so I would have Brandon Miller at four or five. I'm not totally sure okay. yet. Couple of couple of things to point out here. So One of the issues that people had with Brandon Miller early on was the lack of finishing in the paint, the lack of, you know, two point percentage, et cetera. Over Brandon Miller's last eight games, you know, that encompasses seven games that I believe would be considered Ken Palm tier one opponents, maybe a couple of tier twos in there. Uh, Basically outside of Jackson state, these are all good teams that they're playing. Brandon Miller is shooting 61% from two point range on about six attempts per game. Uh, in that time, he's also shooting 50% from three and like that won't hold necessarily, but at the same token, he, here's the thing that like just really stands out with me to Brandon. Like it's the consistency, like guys, guys like, you know, Jet Howard, for instance, and, and I really, really like Jet, And I, I feel like, yep. This is a conversation that comes up pretty regularly on the internet. Like Jet Howard had six points against Maryland. You know, he he has had games where he has shot like 25% in that Eastern Michigan game, 28% against Central Michigan. You know, he, he's had games where it's been not great. Then he has games like against Iowa where he is unbelievable and like unstoppable on some level. Right. Um Brandon hasn't really had like outside of the Houston game, a disaster game. And by the way, it's a significant difference having a disaster game against Houston than against central Michigan. Like Brandon Miller has been incredibly consistent. And I think we're underrating the idea. There's there's something that Samson folk, who's a writer, you know, about the Toronto Raptors over at Raptors Republic that he talks about all the time that I think is so, so smart the difference between like great players in the NBA and, you know, 
inconsistent or good players in the NBA. It's not the flashes. It's being able to do it night after night after night as much as anything. Like, you know, someone, all of these guys, like Max Lewis can show you flashes on, you know, any given day where you watch a highlight clip of him and you're like, oh shit, like he should be ranked ahead of Brandon Miller. And then like you watch the games and it's just like, okay, let's watch these games back to back to back. It's just like not even really all that close, especially when you account for quality of competition. The fact that Brandon can actually defend in the SEC right now at a pretty reasonable level. There's just a big difference, I think, in terms of all of that. The other thing is that I think people are kind of underrating how comfortable Brandon Miller is kind of running an offense now. Like you go back and you watch that Gonzaga game. Like Alabama was having him bring the ball up the court. And was having him initiate their sets and like run offense and being the guy that actually brought them into the like offensive uh, half court. Yeah, I, I do have some concerns in terms of him finishing at the rim. Like he is six foot nine. He should finish better than he does at the rim. I guess he's a little bit older than like the normal freshman, but like, I don't know. That feels nitpicky to me on some level, maybe a little bit not, but I mean, he's not so much drastically older than someone like Jet Howard, who's like another big creator. And I don't mean to keep bringing up Jet. I really like him. I'm we're going to talk about him here in a minute, but like it's hard for me to like, I get the nitpicky stuff because there was some stuff to nitpick early on in terms of like the physicality as a driver. It is still there from time to time. But Brandon has like genuinely gotten better at it throughout the year as he's gotten more comfortable and he's getting better at it while the quality of competition on a night to night basis is actually rising. So I I don't know, man, like I'm, I'm struggling with the online conversation about Brandon Miller more than anything. I've liked Brandon for a while now. um, And and this comes from someone who didn't really like Brandon in high school and thought that there were a lot of concerns that he showcased, but he is like a genuine 40% three point shooting prospect at six foot nine, who is comfortable handling the ball. Even if he's not all that comfortable yet, because he's not all that strong uh, with his lower half getting into the paint and like finishing and his footwork isn't great. I think a lot of the issues he has are fixable at the end of the day. I, I have Brandon, you know, four or five. I don't think he should be in the conversation with Wembenyama and Scoot at all. But I mean, if you want to have him anywhere from three to like, I don't know, eight, three to seven, I think that's reasonable, but it, it gets hard for me to get past that. I think it gets hard for me to get past that level with him. He's a jumbo initiator who can really shoot play on ball or off ball hits shots off movement is improving at the things that he needs to. And the areas that he hasn't yet seem like they're very fixable. Like what he's been labeled special from the moment he got down on that campus there by every coach and teammate that's been around him as a guy who just kind of has it with the work ethic, with the desire to have the ball in his hands in late game situations. The consistency has been there from a night to night basis. He's doing it really well against sec teams and Alabama is throttling opponents in large part due to him and and the advantage that he gives them. Why are we nitpicking the fact that he's a year older than a lot of these guys and still younger than last year's fourth overall pick Keegan Murray, 
when this is yeah. a guy that just continues to show us night in and night out that he's pretty special. Well, he just fits everywhere as well. Everywhere. Right? Like, that's the other thing. Like he, he, the shooting and not elite level defense, he's not that kind of defender, but he is switchable defensively at a pretty solid level to where you can anticipate him coming in and being effective. Uh, I think that there's, yeah, the, the conversation around him is, a, I guess I expected it to turn by now. Maybe people are just setting their ways a little bit too much. Maybe like that initial burst that they got where there were like finishing red flags, right? Maybe that was, maybe it's hard for people to get off of that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, like, again, you look at his last eight games, he's finishing at a 61% clip, you know, inside of the three point line. And that was the big worry. And he's getting better at it, playing higher level competition. I mean, look, it's an eight game sample, but this whole thing's a fucking 17 game sample. So like half of his time has been really, really good as a finisher. So yeah, I don't know. These are the things that frustrate me. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get moving a little bit quicker. Now I think that we've gotten through some of the, you know, the bigger names. Okay, we're back. I'm up at number five. Let's talk about Cam Whitmore, because that's who I'm going to take at number five. And I know that there are still some concerns that people have about Whitmore. Uh, He's shooting 49% from the field, 33% from three, 76 from the line, 13 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 1.3 steals not really passing the ball whatsoever. Um, But over the last, you know, five or six games that he's played in Big East competition, you can really see that the light is starting to go on, even if the team around him is kind of a mess. And even if I don't love the positions he's always put in by the coaching staff, I think he's just tasked with too much at the end of the day. Um, Averaging 15, 5, shooting 55 and 45 and 62 from the field, from three, from the line over the course of his last five games. That's more in line with what I think we're going to see from Cam Whitmore moving forward. Just a monster athlete in terms of explosiveness, body control, physicality, strength. Um, You know, it's not great to bring this guy up, but in terms of like prospect context not any of the off the court uh, terrible stuff he does remind me a little bit of miles bridges as a prospect in terms of like just that power explosiveness that you know shooting ability that we trust but it's you know something that's a little bit more inconsistent i think uh you know not the crazy longest guy necessarily it feels like out there but that explosiveness that power that grace and control in the air uh, i think is going to allow him to be a very high level transition player a very high level cutter i think he's going to be able to create shots at a fairly reasonable level uh in the nba on the wing once he gets more space uh this villanova team they space it okay i think that they've started to figure some things out 
know, over the course of the latter part of this run here, uh, where they play a lot of like him, Eric Dixon, Caleb Daniels, actually Chris Archidiacono is a guy that has like kind of helped them offensively get into their stuff. If you look at the on off numbers, I mean, Chris Archidiacono has been significant for them in terms of how much better their offense is. Like if you look at their non-conference plus all of their, if they're like good non-conference teams, like the top 100 non-conference teams they played plus the big East teams they've played, Chris Archidiacono has like a plus 25 uh, offensive rating, like when he's on the court versus when he's off the court, it's like completely wild. Wow. I, I, I would like to see more of that foursome play together. And then they figure out, do we want to go a little bit bigger? Do we want to go a little bit smaller around those four? Um, do do that, in my opinion, if you're Villanova. But I think the more that they do that, the more we'll see Cam Whitmore play uh, a little bit better. It, also in those minutes when those foursome, when that foursome plays together, uh, I believe Villanova is like plus eight uh, in like 80 or so minutes. So please do that more, I would say. He's just got to get a little bit faster with his processing speed and decision making. Totally. And there's there we talked about this on the New Year's resolution pod, Sam. Like it's kind of the push pull of the the chicken or the egg with this. Is he not a good enough passer sometimes, or is it just that he's so slow off the catch where he wants to catch and hold and survey and then go at guys one on one where a defense is set and therefore able to take more things away from him. The more that he's used kind of getting the ball to him where he can attack downhill, where it's not catch and hold uh, you know, on the perimeter and then decide to go, I think the better off he's going to be. But at the end of the day, we yep. need to see growth from him as a passer. That, that Those two things are very much linked, but the willingness to be able to create, I think, is still going to be a little bit of an issue when he gets to the next level. Yep. Okay, let's go to number six. This is a tough one for me here. Uh, I am and have been a little bit all over the place on my board with trying to project in and what I was going to do at this spot here. Uh, I think there's a slight drop off for me <laughs> with potential, but uh, I am going to do a little bit of a, a surprise, I think, for you. I'm going to go with Keontae George out of Baylor. Uh, That's a surprise for me. It's a su- surprise <laughs> for you. So uh, with Keontae. That is a guy that I have outside of the top 10. So this yeah. is fun. And I, I've grown to really like the the consistency that Keontae holds himself like a top type of option within Baylor's offense. I think that the consistency of his production hasn't quite been there night in and night out. There are some nights where he can go out there and really get 30, and there are others where he disappears a little bit more into the blend of Baylor's offense. Mm-hmm. But he is a six foot four. Six foot three, six foot four power guard who has shown a really good balance between knowing when to score and when to pass. I think that there's a lot of value in somebody like that. I love the off ball ability to knock down shots and play off of other really high end players. I think that maybe this is the coach in me getting too caught up in, you know, game after game improvements and wanting to see guys respond to the coaching that they get but he seems incredibly coachable and a guy who on the defensive end of the floor has bought into playing with better angles, understanding how to guard in ball screens more now than he did at the start of the the year, competing on that end every single possession, where I view him as the type of guy that might not be the, the most likely to turn into a number one option at the NBA level as some of the other guys that we're going to talk about over the next few picks, but maybe more of the one that I'm most confident in, can be a starter on a really, really good team 
when surrounded by other scorers because he knows how to play off of them and he's just going to make the right decision every single time. So I, I, I'm a, I've turned into a big Keontae fan despite not starting the season on that. I think he's got to get more athletic, continue to, to, to work on finishing a little bit quicker when he gets to the basket, uh, but I do see a lot of potential for him on offense. See, see, that's what worries me. It's the athleticism. I love that he is aggressive and downhill and attacks just with so much force, right? Despite the fact that he's not like explosive, he's contact seeking. Like he tries to find, you know, guys in order to get them slightly out of position and then lean into them. He's averaging nine free throw attempts over his last six games. Uh, The decision-making tree is interesting. I think sometimes he's a good passer that doesn't always look to do it. Maybe is the way to put it. Uh, I think he is much more wired to score despite the fact that he has like, for instance, like someone that's comparable to him in my mind, at least athletically is like D'Angelo Russell, right? At least when D'Angelo was a little bit younger prior to the knee stuff. Um, D'Angelo had a little bit more of a strong mix of passing and playmaking versus scoring. I thought Brandon Roy also had a bit of a better mix of like passing and playmaking versus scoring. Whereas with Keontae, I think he's still trying to develop that a little bit better. Uh, I don't really love his finishing. Uh, I, I love that he's contact seeking and right. tries to get to the line, but I don't love the finishing aspect of it. Um, the decision making, like over those last six games, I think he has negative assist to turnover ratio. Uh, mm-hmm. and just in general, like the efficiency is weird because, like, you know, people are going to ding Brandon Miller for shooting under 40% from uh, whatchamacallit, from like inside the two point line. Like, Keontae George is shooting 37% inside the two point line over his last mm-hmm. six games, right? Like, overall, he's shooting 44% inside the two point line. And go ahead. No, and, and his 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 assist to turnover in their losses has been pretty bad. That it, for him, yeah. like Baylor, kind of goes as he goes as a decision maker. That when he's turning the ball over, when he's making immature plays, when he can't separate necessarily athletically, that's when he has a little bit more of a challenge. I I think he's going to be okay because he is pretty crafty and he's strong. You talk about the ability to get to the basket, to get to the free throw line when he's driving to the basket, just that contact seeking that, that ability to know some of his limitations and be able to compensate for it is going to give him a really strong role in the NBA, just as long as he's not asked to go out there and be the guy that puts pressure on the rim every single possession. Well, and the other thing that he does really well is he plays in between cadences. Yes. Um, this is something I've brought up previously, but it's that deceleration step, both getting to the pull up from behind the three point line, but also driving. Uh, I think he gets a lot of contact with that deceleration step and he has big, broad shoulders that kind of allow him to initiate that contact with that yeah. deceleration step uh, at the college level. You know, someone brought up Eric Gordon in the comments. I think that's like actually kind of an interesting comparison for Keontae. Um, And that guy's a lottery pick for sure. I think like, you know, I'm, it took me a while. Like I was a little bit worried about Keontae early on. I'm not worried about him to where I don't have him in the lottery anymore. I do think he is a lottery pick, but like, I need to see a little bit more in terms of the decision-making being a little bit more consistent. um, And hopefully just like, 
a little bit more like the finishing package, I guess. And the it's just efficiency in general for me. Like, you know, his, his true shooting percentage is below 55% right now, despite the fact that he's like kind of living at the foul line. Right. You know, it, it's it, it's interesting at the very least. Yeah, uh, but again, I, I I don't want to make this seem like I'm projecting that he's going to come in here and be a 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA, a number one overall option. Yeah. Like, I see very much like a 16-5-5 five and five type of realm for him where he can do that on moderate efficiency and play really well off of other stars. That's To me, that's something yeah. that I value, and, and as we keep moving forward in this exercise, I will be bringing up the question marks that I have about some of the other guys as to why I may not have taken them over a guy like Keontae here. Okay, I'm up at number seven next. I'm going to take Asar Thompson. Uh, I've gone all over the map with Asar. I have had him like late lottery. I've had him number five. I've had him everywhere in between at this point. And I think that what I'm getting comfortable with with Asar is that his defense, I think, is more consistent across the board than Amens is. I think he's going to be a really high-level defender when he gets to the NBA. Uh, you just look at the way that he can make impacts as a weak side rim protector. You look at the way that he actually stays solid. He doesn't play, again, with a ton of bend. He is upright, but I think he plays with a little bit more bend than Amen does for the most part and stays pretty solid in his defensive position at a much higher level. I think he's a little bit more engaged off the ball to not just go and gamble constantly. And with Amen, there's a reason that he goes and gambles all the time. It's because he's trying to get out and transition. He's trying to create offense that way, to change defense to offense. But with a men, I think he's a little bit more solid in ways that NBA coaches will appreciate. Uh, I'm getting more comfortable with the shooting to an extent. I, I think that he is improving. I think that you can see real growth. Whereas with a men, like I don't really see growth. I see changes. I don't see him getting better yeah. as a shooter. With a SAR, I see him getting better as a shooter which is important. Like you can see the changes that he's made mechanically to kind of tighten things up a little bit. Uh, you know, he still shoots it a little bit in front of his face and like brings it out, like from out in front of his body a little bit when he's loading up and gathering. But I really, really like the fact that the results are, the results are streaky now. Like when he gets confident in those mechanics for a stretch, He's going, and you feel pretty good about the three-point shot. There's never really a stretch where I feel like that for a man. Really good secondary playmaker and passer. I believe in those skills at a really, really high level. The thing that I'm a little bit worried about is, like, I don't love his shake off the bounce. I think he is, like, straight line or, like, one move and go, basically, all the time. And that's going to be a little bit harder, I think, to do in the NBA, they're, you know, again, like, you know, OTE is not, you know, college basketball, but I do think that there are times where having that just a little bit of space will help him. But for the most part, I don't know that there's going to be a crazy amount more. The thing that a sword does have, though, that I mentioned previously, I think his finishing package is just really high level. He has all those like little mini like running hook shots that he can throw up. He has little floaters. He obviously can go up and rise up and dunk. Uh, with very real level he doesn't play with as much force as a man he doesn't have as much twitch as a man does but i do i think that the upside here for asar is higher than anyone else if the shooting comes 
And I think there are enough signs where the shooting has been better recently to where I'm willing to take the gamble. It's a gamble. And I don't know if I'm going to feel this way by the end of the draft cycle, but I, I do like Asar and the way that they work um, is like twins, the way that they seem to be very competitive and care about winning. Um, they have developed real like skill level over the course of their time. I buy them as humans as much as anything is kind of what it comes down to. Which is an important part of this exercise. And it's like some players you have a good feel for, you have Intel on it. You're willing to give them the green light. Others you might not know, but you still got to take them based on the film that you see anyway. Uh, You know, this class is a unique one, Sam. I think there are a lot of jumbo perimeter players who are like six, six or taller that don't have the most bend in the world. We've talked about that with that word mm. with the Thompsons here. I think maybe there's an element of that a little bit with Brandon Miller without great footwork or explosiveness off the bounce. I yeah. think Max Lewis, I think Jet Howard, like there are guys who have athleticism and tools, but don't play super, super low. Of all of these guys, I think Asor is the one that I struggle with most to know where his role comes in in the half court. That a lot of other guys, whether it's their ability to shoot the basketball, like Miller, like Howard, like Lewis, or a guy like Amen Thompson's just elite level athleticism, gives me a little bit more faith that they're going to be able to figure that out somehow. You know, Asor showing some growth as a shooter, but that's a comparable term to me. He's still very far away from me being comfortable with him as a catch-and-shoot type of threat in a high-level offensive ecosystem. I think a lot of the passes that he makes while they're really strong, they occur before he's able to get a foot in the lane. That once he gets inside of 12 or 15 feet, he either has to commit himself to being a finisher or he just continues to keep his dribble alive and and doesn't necessarily probe to the rim or or ends up finishing beneath it. So there are some smaller areas that I would want to see his game clean up at where I know how to project him. And look, this exercise is all about kind of our own styles and tendencies, what we prefer in prospects and and projecting forward. And what I never feel comfortable with is taking somebody who I don't fully understand or can project to say, if he were on my team and in my system, here's exactly how I'd use him. Well, and it's an if statement with a SOAR, right? Because if he's shooting, then that just becomes like, very obvious and it becomes like it opens everything up for him in such a substantial way and that's why this is hard right like you're trying to project 19 in the thompson twins case 20 year olds to try and figure out what they're going to be long term and that's going to change basketball in the nba is going to change like who knows if five years down the road the nba gets sick of all of the scoring explosion that we've seen and tries to revert back and changes rules again. Like this, this is why this is so hard. Right. But I, I do think that I, I like enough of what I've seen with a SAR to where, while I don't think he's a man athletically, I do think he's still going to enter the NBA as like a top 10% athlete in the league, maybe even top like 7% athlete in the league and be a super high level player. Very, very fair. Okay. You're up at number eight. Yeah, uh, number eight here, I am going to go Nick Smith out of Arkansas. Um, We we have seen not a lot of Nick this season due to injuries, due to the different 
aspects that's caused him to kind of shut it down for a little bit right now at Arkansas, but really creative verve with the ball in his hands. Not the most explosive athlete, doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim, but really slippery when he drives and has the basketball in his hands. I like his handle a little bit. I think he's got a really good dependable floater game in that 8 to 12-foot range. Love the pull-up ability. But this is all about his ability to shoot the basketball, Sam. That's why he is a a really high-level pro to me, is that he's going to be able to play on-ball or off-ball. Specifically, I think he's the type of guy that can pop next to another star where he's more of an off-ball threat, a Jamal Murray-type, run him off handoffs and and down screens, occasionally creating for himself out of the pick-and-roll, but fits in really, really well next to another high-level player. I've got some worries about the athleticism. I don't know how it holds up on the defensive end if he's asked to guard guys that are bigger than him. I think that he's got enough length and IQ to be able to hold his own against you know ones and, and smaller guys at the NBA level, but I think he's very, very skinny in a way that could get him in trouble if he's asked to guard up the lineup. Uh, at the end of the day, you know there are a few guys here that are injured that we haven't seen a ton from. And you kind of have to go off of some of the high school tape and your feelings of these guys pre-college. I was super high on Smith because of his creativity as a scorer. I'm going to remain that way and be the optimist here, which is why I'm taking him at number eight. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm in on that. Like, look, we haven't seen enough of him so far. I I get it. Uh, You know, we'll see if we see him again. Right. I hope we do. I do. Um, I, I don't know if there's a lot of clarity there yet but we'll see okay i'm up at number nine i'm just gonna like kind of buzz through that one because we need to move a little bit quicker we're at an sure. hour already at 10 picks <laughs> sure okay at number nine man yeah this is hard because i know i know in my heart what i want to do what, what do you think in my heart i want to do here Adam? i i think you want to take case and wallace in your heart yeah That'd be accurate. (laughs) That'd be accurate. Yeah. But like, I can't do it. I I just, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Casey Wallace. Okay. Okay. So part of the reason that Casey Wallace has struggled over the last like week and a half is because it feels like he's getting like some real back spasms. You know, something is going on there in terms of an injury. I believe he's been wearing a back brace uh, throughout parts of this season at the very least. And obviously NBA teams will want to check that out. Anything with backs, always very concerning. But prior to this little three-game run where he's played, you know, 23 minutes, eight minutes against South Carolina and that disastrous loss, and then 22 minutes yesterday where it seemed like he kind of gutted through it a little bit. Um, in the seven games prior, Kaysen Wallace had been shooting 49% from the field, 47% from three, only 56 from the line, but he doesn't get to the line a ton anyway. Um 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, basically. And I think that that goes to show that what he can do across the board in terms of helping a team win is just very high level. Uh, He is a great shooter off of the hop. At this point, he can just catch and fire and go. Uh, He has real ability to make passing reads at a pretty – realistic level i don't quite think he's a point guard but if you put him next to someone like jimmy butler who's going to be running a lot of the show anyway 
I think Kaysen can just make it work, right? And can play some point and then can shoot the ball and can be an unbelievable point of attack defender. That's ultimately what we love about Kaysen Wallace here. He's a great point of attack defender, despite being six foot four. He is able to switch up and down the lineup. You look at the biggest thing with these guys that are smaller is typically they get outpowered. You know, they, they get pushed around, right? Kaysen is not going to be bullied. He has great physical strength through his core, through his lower half, through his torso, that he can just absorb contact at a really, really high level. I love what Kaysen Wallace brings to the table. I think he's one of the smartest processors. I think he's one of the smartest players in this class. I am a big, big believer. And then, like, let's be real about it. He's not playing in the most advanced offensive scheme. Kentucky, uh, please get Kaysen Wallace in space a little bit more. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, we can We can have a whole hour and a half long podcast about the 1998 Kentucky offense that they continue to run. But uh, I, I love the pick there from you, Sam. I would have taken him next if he were still on the board. I think that we're at the point in the later half of the lottery where we start to be really in balance of do you take somebody who has really, really high upside, but the glaring flaws that we've seen that might not allow them to go in the top five or six, or do you take the guy that's just going to be a really serviceable, dependable pro that you believe can produce at a starter's level? I think that's where case and Wallace, you know, kind of cuts his teeth out. You know what you're getting out of him on the defensive end of the floor. He shoots the ball efficiently enough. Mm-hmm. Got some ways to score inside the arc, but every single intangible that you could look for that makes you believe he's going to be a career, really high-level contributor. So uh, I, I like the pick. Yeah, so Preston Riddle asks, are we talking Patrick Beverly++ plus plus here? I mean, like, Patrick Beverly++ plus plus is like, you know, <laughs> knockoff Drew Holiday kind of probably. Yeah. So... Sure, if you want to put it that way. He's just way bigger and stronger than Patrick Beverly is. Uh, and, and I think he has way more offensive game off the bounce, if I'm being completely honest. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'm i a big fan of Kaysen. Uh, I will say, like, I've, I am high on Kaysen. We're starting to get to the point where I would like to see him, you know, do just a little bit more off the bounce. And I don't know if we're going to see it at this point this year, just yeah. because of the injury and Kentucky's offense and everything. Right. And, and that's, I always call it the Kentucky effect, right? How much of what we don't see is due to the prospect, not being able to do it versus not being allowed to do it. And I think yep. with Kaysen, there's a little bit more latent pick and roll handling and creation ability. When you go back, you watch his AAU and high school film than what he's yep. able to show right now, at Kentucky. Okay, you're up at 10, Adam. Up at 10, and in the same spirit of trying to weigh the pros and cons of going for the higher upside swing versus the dependable pro, I'm going to stay conservative here, and and I'm going to go with a little bit more of a dependable guy. Uh, I'm going Jarris Walker out of Houston. Uh, Cool. Yeah, I, I like Jairus's defense as a guy that can more so two through five than really one through five guard on, on the defensive side of the floor. Some switchability, uses his length really well, very polished on that end with his movements, his motor, his rotations. Uh, I think offensively at Houston, his role continues to be a little bit less than what he might be able to give at the NBA level. He's shooting the ball efficiently right now from a catch-and-shoot standpoint. The form could get a little bit faster, but he is consistently making them, so don't want to uh, nitpick it, too it's much. It's got to get faster. It, it has to. It, it has <laughs> yeah. to. 
But but again, he's making the shots right now as a teenager, as a freshman who's playing at a high level program. Like I, I don't want to make it seem like shooting is a weakness of his by any means. Smart connective tissue passer. You can run offensive sets yep. through him and he knows how to pick apart and diagnose defenses. I think that there's a lot of untapped potential for him off of the short roll, whether that's playing him as a small ball five or being a guy within an offensive scheme where you have two different screen setters, kind of like what the Cleveland Cavaliers do with Allen and Mobley, that if you play him with a really good shooting point guard or handler, that he's going to be somebody that makes good decision after good decision on the short roll, whether it's attacking to finish for himself because he can score with his wide frame or just really quickly diagnosing where the open man is. I've seen a lot of great things that I like from Jairus Walker to start the season that has got him closer to being at the top half of the lottery than the bottom of it. So I'm really comfortable getting him here at number 10. Yeah, this was the guy for me where it was head versus heart uh, with Casey Wallace. Uh, Jairus Walker's 6'8". He's a 7'2 wingspan. He's physically ready to play in the NBA right now. He gets better defensively every freaking time I feel like I watch that guy. He's just flying all over the place. He's getting more comfortable with the rotations. He's getting more comfortable being aggressive and knowing what he can do, yeah. I feel like, on the defensive end, what he can get away with almost, how he can get away with going on to somebody, what his recovery speed is. Um, and then offensively, he's just getting way more comfortable. They're starting to utilize him more in that short roll area yeah. at Houston that you're talking about. You know, go back and watch that Cincinnati game. Go back and watch that SMU game. They utilized him a ton there, and I thought it was super, super impressive. So th- this was this was the guy. I'm glad that you picked him. Okay. Number 11 for me now. I am going to go with Anthony Black here. So – We need to just acknowledge the obvious. Anthony Black has not been great over the last X number of games, right? Uh, You go back over his last six games, he is averaging, let's see here, 11 and a half points, five rebounds, three assists, shooting 35% from the field, and the shooting has fallen off of a cliff. He's shooting 22% from three in that time. I still am a big believer I think that he processes the game better than almost anyone in this class. He makes the right play, makes the right read very consistently. The thing that is the biggest problem for Anthony Black right now is he's playing on an Arkansas team that has zero spacing. It's not that they have like, oh, just one shooter or whatever out there. They have zero spacing now that Trevon Brazil and Nick Smith are not on the court with Anthony Black. Uh, Ricky Council doesn't really get guarded from the three-point line because teams know that he's trying to, like, pump fake you, get into the mid-range area, try to, you know, hit that mid-post option, right? Uh, The Mitchell twins, not shooters. Uh, You know, Devo Davis, again, more of a guy that really likes to operate in that mid-range area as opposed to three. So these last few games from – Anthony Black, and frankly, like going forward, if Nick Smith doesn't play anymore, I I don't know. Again, I'm not reporting anything there. I I don't know what he's going to do. If we don't see him, though, I don't think we're going to see the best of Anthony Black anymore, which means we're going to have to go back to Maui when he was playing with Trevon Brazil. We're going to have to go back and look at some other tape from Anthony Black early in the season and see what he was capable of. 
I love the way he put pressure on the basket early in the season. I love the way he operates in ball screens. Uh, I love his defensive attitude all the time. I think he's very competitive. I think he's aggressive. I think he's big. I, I just really like everything that he brings to the table. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I, I, I get it with all of that stuff. I, I think it's hard to know how much do we hold production and numbers and you know this slew of bad games against him when we have that understanding of the environment that he's operating in right now. And it's, it's really, really tough when you lose a couple guys, particularly two most important kind of floor spacers that you have to be able to contextualize what Ampling brings to the table. Uh, I think this is around the right range for him, uh, maybe slightly lower just because I still have a few concerns about how he scores at the next level, how he creates his own shot and things like that. But uh, I get the pick. Okay. You're up. Okay. Number 12. <sighs> Number 12. I, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go Derek Whitehead out of Duke. Okay. Uh, this, the same kind of argument that I made for Nick Smith of not wanting to hold a ton against the guy who has maybe struggled to get a full season under his belt because of, of health concerns. You know, Whitehead has started to move more into a prominent role at Duke as we've come into 2023. And we've seen a little bit of progress from him in that regard. Uh, didn't think he had a great game this weekend against Clemson, but uh, other than that, I thought he's been pretty solid of late over his last six. He's averaging about 11 and a half points, shooting 36% from three on a lot of attempts. There are a couple things that we need to see from Whitehead moving forward. One is regaining some of that burst and athleticism that he had in high school. You and I have talked about it. He was never the most bursty guy, but because it's been reduced due to the foot injury and all that he's dealt with in his time at Duke, it's really limiting his game where he is dependent on three-point jumpers in order to contribute anything on offense. If he gets a little bit more juice, which he's shown to me before, he's going to be able to attack the basket a little bit more. That opens up his game as a secondary playmaker. But a six-foot-six wing who I do feel comfortable projecting the jump shot, think he can create for himself in isolation. And at the end of the day, I don't want to say I'm throwing out the tape this year at Duke, but from what we've seen thus far, it's a very different player than he was at high school. That guy to me is a lottery pick. That's the guy that I'm expecting to get if I take him here. Number 12. Okay. Again, another guy that just hasn't played a crazy amount at this point. He's played enough to where we have tape, but like, I feel like that tape is not necessarily all that indicative of who he is, uh, especially the stuff early on. Uh, He's gotten a little bit better recently, but I don't know that I need to add a whole lot to what you just said there. Sure. Okay. Number 13. Number 13? Number 13. Yes, 13. Uh, I'm taking Grady Dick from Kansas. Damn you. Six foot eight wing who is shooting a billion percent from three. uh, A trillion percent from three. Uh, He's really shooting 49% from three this season. He's averaging 15 points a game. 47% from the field. Uh, Also a weirdly smart defensive player. We're going to talk about, like, I have a lot of worries on defense, but he is smart. Like he knows where to be. He makes like gambles at the right times, but it's the shooting with Grady Dick at the end of the day. Like he is 
a ridiculous catch and shoot player who gets it up quick. He has a ridiculously high release point. He's six foot eight and he gets that ball all the way above his head to release the ball, which makes it really, really hard to contest his shot. And I think it's really, really translatable to what he is capable of at the NBA level. Uh, I also think he's more capable as like a pump fake relocation shooter as a pump fake, take two dribbles into the mid range, stop and pop or hit like a whip corner pass. Like after the help comes from the corner to try and slow him down. He's smarter than what I think he gets credit for being. I think he is a legit lottery pick. That's just definitely where I'm at at this point. The defensive worries I have are, I don't think he's strong enough yet. Uh, I think he's, athletic and moves his feet reasonably well i think teams are going to look at him as someone they can try and just like move at the end of the day and it's not like he doesn't have a lot of weight like he's listed right now at 205 like it's not like he's like you know 185 pounds out there right like he's 6'8 super skinny there's a lot of room for growth in the frame i just don't know that like i don't know what the room for growth is with the frame yeah, it, it feels so, like it's more chest and shoulders than it is legs and core sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but like the fact that it isn't legs and core and he still gets kind of moved occasionally on defense is worrisome, yeah. right? Like, yeah, on ball, he could be a little bit of a target for teams. Uh, also, like we need to be real about this. I do think NBA players target white guys a little bit more when they're out there, like just being real about it, right? And I think that that is something that he could suffer from at the end of the day. But I think he is really, really good as a shooter, as a decision maker, as a passer. Everything that you could look for from a floor spacer, I really, really think he's got it. And I really, really like the way he's going to complement a team that knows how to utilize him. So, so, so smart. And at a young age as a freshman and an off-ball player who has to navigate screens and handoffs and see all of these different individual coverages with top locking him or lock and trail and, and all of these different things that he faces. He's so smart and knows how to get a shot off, how not to force it, how to cut back door when he has to and finish with one bounce or fewer, and then use his gravity and his movement in, in every single space that he stands in to get his teammates open. At the end of the day, we're looking at the later part of the lottery, like this 12 to 20 range for guys who are just going to be solid contributors on an NBA team. You might not get the highest level starter every single time here. I know John Hollinger, your colleague over at The Athletic, talks about how there are typically 20 guys who stick around from any given draft class. And at this kind of point, we're looking for guys who are going to, to be part of that, but also who, you know, might give you more, uh, on the offensive end of the floor than you give up on defense. And I think that's where I'm at right now with Grady Dick is he's so consistent from three. He's so smart as a prospect and he's the perfect floor spacer next to star level players that yep. even if he's not going to be on the floor in your closing lineups on defensive end in a playoff situation, you get the type of offensive value that he brings for the other 45 minutes a night within your rotation you're getting somebody really good value here at this point. Okay. You are up at number 14. I'm up at 14 and I'm going almost with the antithesis of Grady Dick. Uh, Not a guy who knows how to play yet, but a guy who has every single 
skill and athletic profile that he's flashed thus far that makes you think he could turn into somebody really good someday. It's going to take a long road to get him there, which I think is why I didn't want to touch him in the top 10, but it's Gigi Jackson out of South Carolina. Uh, I have some real worries and they come on the defensive end of the floor with how locked in he is, how he processes the game of basketball as a help defender and some of the habits he has with just the energy and output he puts forth. I have some real worries that he can ever be a major focal point of offense at the NBA level because he does not create for others, doesn't seem willing to do so and is very inefficient despite the major, major athleticism and ability to get to the basket that he possesses. But we're talking about potentially the youngest player in this draft class, a guy who has so many untapped tools and has come in as a teenager in college basketball as the clear number one option on a South Carolina team and been able to, to show some intriguing one-on-one potential. Um, this whole exercise, we have continued to talk about the the environment that some of these college players are operating in and how a lot of times it can make or break how they perform as a freshman. Anthony Black having no spacing. Cason Wallace playing in an old-school offense in Kentucky versus a guy like Brandon Miller in such a well-spaced, well-thought-out offensive scheme for what he brings to the table. I think Gigi Jackson is the biggest victim of being in a situation where He's given way too long of a leash. He doesn't have other guys who can simplify the game of basketball and create things for him. And this is part of what he signed up for by going to South Carolina. I think that with a couple years of NBA development and developmental you know, work to, to be very intentional about simplifying his role and understanding what he brings at the next level, he can turn into a really high caliber player. But that is a much larger if then I think he gets credit for right now. There's a lot to clean up to get to that point. Well, and it, it's it, it's what Lamont Paris like wants to do. I, yeah. I think that like he wants to showcase for recruits that if you come here, we're going to let you go. Right? We're going to give you every opportunity to succeed. We're going to give you every opportunity to get your numbers to do what you can to be successful. Um, <laughs> The thing that I struggle with with Gigi Jackson most is the processing speed. And I know he's 18 years old. He's so young. He's a baby. He's still trying to figure this out. He's so much younger than these guys he's playing against. I just don't think that they're putting him in position to be successful with it. Like they're asking him to make reads on the fly, on the move, and he can't do it yet. And that's okay. Like he's freaking 18 years old and I wouldn't expect it necessarily, but he can't really do it at this point and it's resulting in some tape that is not ideal and nba teams and scouts are gonna have to work to contextualize that at a really high level and try to figure out okay he's not gonna play in this structure from day one in the nba that's that's the biggest thing like what he does now at South Carolina is nowhere near what he's going to be asked to do in the NBA early on at the very least. Maybe at some point he reaches that ceiling. Not right now. How do we go about developing him? What are his skills that he showcases that could translate to him getting on the court early and getting some success early on? And it's the shooting. It's, He's a loose handle, but he's comfortable for a guy that's like 6'9", 6'10", handling the basketball. 
it's you go back to high school, there are some defensive rotational things that work really, really well. He he's the guy where if he goes to like Houston, I am very worried. If he goes to Charlotte, I'm very worried. If he goes to X, Y, and Z bad situation, I'm very worried. If he goes to Oklahoma City or Utah, which seems like a really good developmental situation right now, I'm much more interested and think like it could work really, really well. They need NBA teams need to like build him from the ground up, get rid of a lot of the bad habits that he's being empowered to make this season. Yes. And go from there. And the ceiling is really high. The floor is also a little bit lower, I think, with him than someone I'm going to talk about next. Also, like, he's just not good on defense right now at the college level. We've seen some flashes at the high school level that were really good. At the college level, he's not good defensively right now. I think you put it a really eloquent way there, Sam, that uh, he's got to break the habits that right now he's being empowered to make. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But when you're 18 years old and you have the monstrous upside that he does, it's an investment worth taking kind of this point in the draft, the middle part of the first round, the later part of the lottery. I think that this is a very similar type of either pro trajectory or uh, or situation to what we've seen for Jonathan Kaminga, that there's so much raw talent to work with. He needs to go to the right system that's going to give him a clearly defined role, develop his skills within it, and hold him accountable to make sure that he, he has to get to that in order to provide consistent minutes to the team that takes him. So uh, I see a ton of upside here. I didn't want to let him escape the lottery because I think that there's just too much to let him get to the middle part of the first or the later, the middle part of the first round. But there's just, there's a lot of risk involved in a guy like Gigi. Agree. Okay. Now we're out of the lottery. We're actually going to try and zoom through these. Number 15, I'm going Jet Howard. Uh, Jet Howard, six foot eight playmaker, uh, really, really high level scorer because of the shooting. If anyone saw the game against Iowa, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, the scoring package, he looked like freaking Carmelo Anthony out there. It was unbelievable. Like he was taking mid-post opportunities. He was taking relocation threes. He was taking, you know, pump fake, two dribble pull-ups into the mid-range. He was making crazy, like, movement threes with a hand in his face. There was just so, so much to be excited about with Jet Howard as a scorer in that game. That all of it translates in the NBA. I also think that there are some latent passing skills. I think that there is some real ball handling ability. Uh, he has good shake. He just doesn't have a lot of burst, which forces some issues in terms of like change of pace a, a lot of the time. Like I think he doesn't change his pa- change pace as well as you know guys like Amen Thompson can, just because Amen's the difference between Amen's speeds is bigger than Jet Howard's, right? Um, the big concern for me is just like, it was hilarious. I had an NBA scout text me because we were talking during the Iowa game. He was like, it is hysterical. You look at the ESPN, like little top performers box that they have in the box score. And it just says for Jet Howard, 34 points, right? No rebounds, no assists, no blocks, no steals, anything. 34 points. And that's the thing. Like he needs to make an impact outside of the offensive side of the court. He's a really bad defender right now and doesn't have great tools. He's big, but he doesn't have great athletic tools to be able to defend at a high level. Uh, you have to hope that being six foot eight, being intelligent uh, as a basketball player can help Jet Howard. 
but yeah, I'm a little bit worried yeah. about yeah. the uh, about the overall game beyond the scoring tools, which I think are very real. Yep. Yeah. Good passer. Uh, I, I think that's worth worth you know recognizing here. I don't think he's great at getting himself into the lane, but handoffs, downhill actions that can create separation for him. He knows how to take advantage of and make the right read. Defensively, there's just not a lot to work with. Plays very upright. Doesn't have a ton of bend. I don't know what natural position or player is best for him because quicker guys go around him and stronger guys will body him a little bit because I think he has a little bit higher of a center of gravity than most wings of his size. Uh, a lot of people will talk about his ability to recover as being one of the things that they've seen positively from him on defense, that even if he seeds an advantage, he's got some length or some craftiness to be able to get back. To me, I'm more focused on what got him beat in the first place so that he had to recover. Yeah. I think that that's much more valuable at the NBA level is not getting beat in the first place. So uh, I think this is around the right range for Jet, but yes, some clear concerns on the defensive end that he's got to be able to overcome. Okay, you're up at number 16. I'm up at 16. I'm going to go Bryce Sensabaugh from Ohio State here. Uh, Incredibly efficient offensive piece. Been continuing to just score the ball at a high level as he gets in the conference play 16.8 points five rebounds a game 50 percent from the field 44 percent from three 82 from the line and i think he's getting a little bit better at attacking the basket and attacking to get to the free throw line as opposed to just score in the mid-range area love how strong he is i think he's got a good frame to continue to add more to it on the wing have seen two key improvement areas from him over the last several weeks. One is on the defensive end of the floor where he's trying a little bit more and seems to be more tapped in rotationally. The other is in his willingness to be a passer. It started the year really, really low. He started to uh, get better over the last seven or eight games or so Uh, buying into sensible because this level of sustained production from a, a freshman scoring the ball efficiently is rarely seen. I think he's a middle first rounder. Yeah, I think right around here makes sense. Again, the big problem here is defense. He's very bad on defense. If you go back and you watch um, the way Purdue attacked him in that game that Ohio State lost uh, in the second half, every action was at Bryce Sensabaugh in that half to the point where like Chris Holtman had to play like defense offense for him late in that game because it, it was just like a enormous like flashing sign attack 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 every time he was on the defensive end um I, I love the offensive skill i've talked a lot about the process being hard with him like in terms of he has to get to easier spots on the court i think his touch is unbelievable i think he's going to shoot at a high level in the nba uh i just would like to see a little bit more in terms of defending, in terms of passing and playmaking. I think he's underrated as a passer, you know, based off of the numbers, but he's not like a plus passer or anything at this point. But the production is very real. The efficiency is very real because his touch is absolutely unbelievable. And I'm a big believer in that. Okay. I'm up next. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Rayon Rupert. And that is number 17 for me. Rayon Repair is currently a six foot seven wing playing over in the NBL here in Australia uh, for the New Zealand Breakers. And the more that I watch Repair, the more that I think that this is just a dude that's going to work at the next level. And that this is a guy that like 
coaches are absolutely going to love trying to develop at the next level. Um, really, really high level defender. He is six foot seven with a seven foot three wingspan and you can feel it. He can attack you at the point of attack down the court as like a 90 uh, foot pressure player. He can switch one through four, despite the fact that he's not that strong yet. His length is such an impediment there. And I buy the shot long-term. He's not like an elite level shooter yet, but I think he's shooting something around like 35 from three this year in total. If you take all of the games he's played here in the NBL so far, he also grew up as a point guard. Shout out Adam Spinella. Uh, Has some real abilities in terms of making passing reads on the fly. I don't think he's going to be like a point guard at the next level. I don't think he's going to be some combo guard. But I do think that, like, for instance, Gregory Castillo brings up Dalen Terry. He's just got more tools than Dalen Terry, to be honest. Like, he's bigger. He's stronger. He has broader shoulders. I think he's a little bit quicker than Dalen Terry. Uh, I think his feel for the game is just a little bit higher. He doesn't force it like Dalen did at times last year. It's it's a similar concept. It's almost like if you found the middle ground between Dale and Terry and Mikhail Bridges, kind of. Uh, he's He's got the intelligence, I think. He just doesn't have the skill level that Mikhail brings to the table or nearly the shooting that Mikhail brings to the table. Um, so, yeah, I think that I am a big believer in Rayon Repair being a very, very high-level player down the road. Um, and I, I passed up one guy that I think I'm going to regret passing up on. And I hope I get to talk to talk about him on the next pick. Well, I, I like that pick there for you, Sam. You sold me on him. As soon as you said former point guard, uh, you, you got yeah, my heartstrings tugging. But uh, I hope the jump shot is not beyond repair. There's my one dad joke for the day. I know. Yeah. But let me yeah. go. Uh, what, 18 here? Yeah, 18. 18. Uh, I'm going to go with one of the more underrated players in this class, averaging 21 and a half points, nine and a half <laughs> rebounds, 1.7 assists per game while shooting 51 and a half percent from the field, 37 and a half from three. It's Chris Murray from yeah. Iowa. To be clear, I fucked this up. I should have taken Chris Murray last pick, but I got excited and wanted to talk about Ray on repair. I love Chris Murray. I absolutely love him. I watch him play, and he seems like a left-handed version of Keegan. And Keegan went fourth and is having a pretty good rookie season for the Sacramento Kings, just finding ways to blend in really well in a a high-level offensive ecosystem. I don't think Murray is great on the defensive end, but I think that he's long and toolsy and good enough to be able to make it work. But he's he rarely makes mistakes on offense and doesn't turn it over because he always plays in control knows who he is, finishes and converts around the basket. I think he's got really underrated touch, can play in straight lines because the threat of the shot is there. And he just produces. He just continues to produce day after day, game after game. I think that at Iowa, he's a little bit miscast as more of a creative option. The NBA will be much more perimeter-based, catch and shoot on you know in the corners and then be able to attack some occasional closeouts but I think there's a lot of value to just the consistent mistake-free approach that he brings to the table. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's shooting a little bit better off of movement. A lot of of last year I thought was uh, just spot-ups, but this year they're creating and he's creating some more opportunities off of actions. He's a little, he's just kind of a lesser version of his brother in like a lot of ways. Uh, He can't handle the ball quite as well. He doesn't play with as much leverage and like get low and create shots as well as Keegan does. But 
really legit shooter, I think. Uh, big frame, six foot eight, okay defensively, can hold his own, certainly. And if you're that, you're six foot eight, you can shoot, you can hold your own defensively, you are a top 20 pick. That is just the reality of the situation. I love it. Okay. Number 19, I'm going Max Lewis. Uh, Max Lewis is an interesting player. I think a lot of people look at the box score with Max Lewis and get very, very excited because, you know, he's averaging 20 points per game, six rebounds, three assists, shooting 52% from the field, 41% from three, 83% from the line. Uh, There's a lot there to be excited about in terms of that. I will say when you talk to WCC coaches about Max, they're not as enthused as they were last year about someone like Jalen Williams. They're not, they're not as enthused about him. And with him, it's more of a situation where they don't love the feel for the game. They think a lot of the offense is generated for him uh, in a way that it won't necessarily be at the NBA level. What I will say about Max Lewis is I really like him in terms of his shooting off of movement. Like I, I believe in that skill wholeheartedly almost at this point uh he is six foot seven he's a live athlete like he will throw down on you with ease i i am a big believer in the combination of six foot seven real athlete real shooter i don't think he does anything else uh like a lot of his shot creation from inside the three-point line is like these mid-post isos that pepperdine goes to him with and like he's never going to do that in the nba no one will ever ask him to do that really um he does get out in transition certainly that's where another big part of his uh two point you know production comes from and he will be a threat out in transition it's the defense it's the processing speed the passing none of that is really there i mean like put it put it this way like santa clara last year was pretty good with Jalen Williams. Like they were a top 75 team in the country. They went 21 and 12. Like they beat St. Mary's. They beat BYU. They beat TCU. Like there were, there were signs that he was making the team better at a really high level with Max Lewis. They're 0 and 5 right now in WCC. They lost a tight game to San Diego. They lost a tight game to Pacific. Like, and this isn't to say that, you know, uh, Jalen Williams last year didn't lose games. They shouldn't have lost to Santa Clara, but like Pepperdine seven and 12 right now. And Pepperdine is seven and 12, despite the fact that they have Max Lewis and Houston Millette, who's like a high major player, Javon Porter, who is a high major player, Mike Mitchell, who's a high major player. Like it's kind of inexcusable for this team to be as bad as it is. And a lot of it's like defensive infrastructure. A lot of it is that like, they just don't like, like the processing speed is just not quite there. They play wide open offense. They can shoot really well, but like, yeah, it, it's a, it's a frustrating watch to watch them. I, I loved this team. Like I was so excited about them. Yes, I was were. like, this is my favorite team to watch, like watch them against rice, watch them against UC Irvine. Like, and they got fucking destroyed against UCLA. Like, yeah. go back and watch that UCLA tape. Ugly. It was bad, man. Like, it, it, so like, I, I'm here for Max Lewis. I just took him in the top twenty. Six seven, great shooter, great athlete. 
those guys go in the top 20 and he will deserve to go in the top 20. I've seen some tops, some top 10 stuff for Max Lewis. I, Mm -hmm. I feel like those people are like not actually watching like the full games and they're just looking at the box score and like kind of seeing some clips and things like that. You look at the clips, you can be like, holy Ah. shit, this guy's a top 10 player. If you watch the games, it's just like, well, I just, uh, very timely. I just released my scouting report video on him uh, earlier oh, did you? today, and I have, yeah, and I have a, a companion piece in more written form coming out tomorrow, talking about some of this stuff. And you hit the nail on the head on a lot of different things there, Sam. That he is given a really long leash in a not so great Pepperdine team right now in ways that I don't think is going to translate to his NBA usage or ability. You know, I, I struggled to look at all the things that Lewis brings and say, what is his role going to be on an NBA court? I don't think he's smart enough with the ball in his hands, polished enough at getting to his spots. Every single move that he uses to get to the basket seems to take five, six or seven dribbles and isn't very much in straight lines or just decisive blow bys. I had to do this stat as I was going through and writing this piece. Do you know how many self-created dunks that Max Lewis has in the half court, meaning out of isolation or out of ball screens? as opposed to just backdoor cuts or in transition. You know how many dunks he has this year? Well, I would guess he has quite a few dunks out in transition and off of cuts, but I would guess he has zero probably off of like self-creation. Yes, he has 19 overall, most of them coming off backdoor cuts, lob plays designed for him or in transition. He has zero when he's attacking the basket off the bounce. I don't think that he's a high enough level IQ player to be able to be this dependable option that NBA teams are looking for that creates more in the top 10, right? Like in the top 12 or something. That's right. Right. That would create for himself as a mid range and a three point shooter. He's good in those areas, but he doesn't combine that shooting with enough playmaking to offset the lack of rim attempts. He's a mess defensively in a lot of ways. He teams target him and try to backdoor him all the time. He falls asleep off ball. I think as good of an athlete as he is in space, he doesn't know how to use it in traffic, still gets caught gambling on the defensive end of the floor. Like, Is there major upside because he's still so young and learning how to play to tap into? Absolutely. But we've got to pump the brakes on just falling in love with the highlights and, and the, the top-tier athleticism that we see when he's in space. There's so much more to that uh, than that to the game of basketball, and he's got a long way to go before he gets proficient in a lot of those areas. Okay, you're up at number 20. Okay, I am up next. I'm just going to go with production right here. Terquavion Smith from NC State. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I like the way that he scores the basketball. I think if we're looking for guys who can come in off of a bench or second unit and just get you points in production, Terquavion can do that. Super competitive, super confident, has improved somewhat this year as a finisher near the basket. I, I'm also putting some stock in the fact that NC State is winning games right now that they've been better and he's been a huge part of the reason for that. I think that he's not just a high volume chucker on an inefficient team that doesn't win a bunch of games. As we've seen the Wolfpack continue to get better around him and his efficiency and volume not dip. I'm bought in a little bit more to believing that he's a legitimate first round pick. I thought he could have gone in this range last year, decided to come back to school, be competitive and bet on himself. Want to reward a guy like that top 20 guy. The, the other thing that I think he's made a leap on is the passing. Yeah. Uh, I think that he has really improved to where I can see a world where he actually might be able to play some point guard by the time he's like 22. 
Uh, he's averaging like five assists a game at this point. I think he has like a two to one assist turnover ratio. He looks a lot more comfortable out of ball screens, making reads now, which is something where last year he was coming off the ball screen and just looking to fire, right? Like that was it. <laughs> that was the game. Uh, now he seems to be processing things. The game has slowed down a little bit. I'm absolutely terrified of him defensively. I do not think that's going to go well in the NBA. Yeah. But there is enough offensive firepower here now and enough of a complete offensive game now to where I buy him in this range. He was within the next three or four for me, for sure. sure. Um, okay, next up for me, I'm at 21. I'm going to go Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. Uh, Taylor Hendricks is this guy who's like a fast riser up the board throughout the course of the season was something like a top 75 freshman coming into this recruiting class, uh, into this freshman class this season within college, six foot nine. Moves reasonably well, uh, a good weak side rim protector, block shots at a pretty good clip for someone that is not always playing the center position. Yeah, I'm just a believer in Taylor Hendricks as a good developmental prospect. Uh, the other thing he does is shoot it. I believe in the shot. He's shooting uh, something along the lines of like 39% from three. I don't know necessarily what this weekend's games have done to change that, but yeah, exactly 39% from three. Uh, he needs to improve the handle. It feels like uh, he feels a little bit more comfortable in the handle than everyone else feels in his handle. But at the same token, this is an upside play, someone that could really become like a low-level starter, probably a rotation player down the road with real positional size at six foot nine that might be able to be some switchable defensively, uh, probably will be able to bring some weak side rim protection. Yeah, he's big. He defends and he shoots. I think that that's an archetype that NBA teams look for in the first round and, and is worth the upside swing. So totally understand it there. Okay, you're up. 22 for me uh, over this player's last eight games. He's averaging 17.6 points, four and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. He's been on a blistering pace from three, shooting 53% from downtown. I don't think that's going to last by any means, but I'm encouraged by the development as well as the fact that he converts it over a 50% clip inside the two-point range over that time. Big guard who's got great feel and can create. It's Jalen hood Shafino at Indiana. Yeah, sure. Uh, Again, the feel is something that we definitely loved coming into college. I think that he's been much more consistent of a shooter, particularly over the last three weeks or so than I thought that he would be. I'd like to see the Hoosiers win a few more games with him kind of spearheading that attack. But at the end of the day, big crafty guards who continue to get better as shooters and are really good playmakers are guys that I want to kind of throw my hat into at that guard position. So thought about taking him instead of Turquavy on there, but rolled the dice and got him a couple picks later. So I'm very happy with this one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I have nothing to add. That's, that's who he is. He's a, I really like the way he's improved over the course of the season. I'll say that. Like yep. he's gotten more and more comfortable, uh, has gotten more uh, confident, it looks like, in running some offense for Indiana. Really like him. Yeah, I think he's a very real 20 to 45. This is where we start getting into like the real flyers range. I would say Turquavion was probably, maybe Taylor Hendricks was probably the last guy where I was like, this is a first round pick. Like this is, this is definitely something that I want to take in the first round. Uh, the rest of it, it, these are flyers, like guys that might be in this draft, probably will be in this draft, but like, maybe not a uh, lot, a lot of things to still try and work out here. Okay. Yep. Number 23, 
I'm going to go Colby Jones out of Xavier. I love Colby Jones. I've been the conductor of the Colby Jones hype train for the last five years, it feels like. He's averaging 14 points, five rebounds, six assists per game, 1.4 steals. He's a tough defender at six foot six, strong, physical. He's shooting 52% from the field, 45% from three on limited attempts. That's the big spike this year in terms of do we believe in it? Do we not believe in it? I think he's made some mechanical adjustments to make it a bit smoother to where I buy it enough now to where I think it's a developable skill once he gets to the NBA. And when you can add the passing, the frame, the defensive ability, that's pretty good. I believe in that skill package working as a rotation player in the NBA. There's a lot of diversity to his game. He's good at a lot of things. I don't know if he's great at one thing, and, and you know that can be a blessing and a curse sometimes, but very good connective piece. Certainly understand that, and you've been been huge on him from the beginning. So it's, it's only right that you end up with Colby Jones here. Yeah, I know. Okay, you're up at 24. Uh, I'm going to take Deron Holmes out of Dayton. Sure. I, I Let's typically, do it. Yeah, typically don't go for a ton of big men in the later part of the first round here. You don't have a ton of scheme versatility, but I think there's a little bit of switchiness to him, not switch by design, but if he gets caught on a guard, like it's not the worst thing in the world. Wildly productive, super athletic, and playing with a ton of burst. 19 and a half points, eight rebounds, two assists per game, two blocks. Uh, very, very efficient. 60% from the field has shown a little bit of touch on the jump shot, but to me, it's the passing field that he has, either within a motion scheme at the high post or just understanding when he gets doubled in the low post of how to kick it out and throw really accurate cross-court reads. There's a very yeah. legitimate processing speed and feel to the game that he has while being an impactful defender and always, always, always playing with energy. His motor never stops, and I love that about him. That's the type of high upside big man as a sophomore that I'd like to take the gamble on in the 20s. Okay. Uh, number 25, Kyle Filipowski for me. Uh, six foot 11 big man, real skilled, like can handle the ball, can create his own shot. Uh, good mismatch opportunist is what I would say. Uh, someone that you can run in ball screens, he can pop out. Uh, or you can run him in ball screens. He can roll to the rim. He can short roll and make passing reads. The thing with Filipowski that I think is underrated is he moves better than what he gets credit for. I can see a world where he's not a liability out in space defensively. He will be a liability at the rim. He's not a rim protector. He's not a shot blocker. I think teams will try to finish over the top of him with relative ease. But I do think that if the shot comes together, there's just a lot of upside here in terms of his ability uh, to be like a great backup big man that changes the pace of the game uh, and makes an impact on the offensive end of the court while not always getting crushed defensively. I like it. Yeah, I cert certainly, certainly like that there. Uh, I think that this is, you know, if I'm a little bit late to respond here, I am just digging for who I'm going to take next because I, <laughs> I have like a lot of different thoughts about guys and every name I kind of come across, I end up talking myself out of it. What pick numbers? Is this 26 or 26? We don't have too many left. 26. Okay. I am just going to have to throw a dart and pick somebody. So uh, I'm just going to go to the ace in the hole for me. Baba Miller 
look, I thought you'd at least wait till 30 to pull this out. And that would be the fitting icing on the cake. But uh, at the end of the day, I just need a little bit more time to to scour the board here. Like the clock was ticking and I had to go with my dearly beloved because that's that's the guy I pull out of my back pocket. Look, we haven't seen anything for Baba. He played really one game and didn't show us too much. And then he's got tonsillitis and missed a game this weekend against Virginia. We're buying into the long-term skills and upside of a guy who, you know, my specialty, former point guard who had a huge growth spurt, six foot 11 now handles and plays fluidly has shown the ability to shoot the basketball and catch and shoot and off movement. I think there's a ton of defensive versatility because of how he moves fluidly, particularly laterally but super, super, super raw may not end up declaring for this year's draft. We don't know yet what he's going to look like on a college basketball floor, let alone a pro one, but this is a a huge upside swing for me on the combination of length, fluidity, athleticism, feel, and shooting. Okay. Uh Yeah. Now I'm, (laughs) now I'm in a bit of strife here. You, you've, you've hit the ball back to me. Um, Number 27, I will take Jordan Hawkins and just take the mix of movement shooting and, you know, defensive upside. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, Jordan Hawkins, teams have figured out with Connecticut, w- what you do with them is you essentially face guard Jordan Hawkins. You try to play four on four and they don't really have anybody that can beat you off the bounce. So that's just kind of the way that this works, right? Like they, they really struggle when you're able to do that uh, because they don't have like a creator, like Andre Jackson, much as I love him, he's probably the guy it's going to have to be. I don't know how much I trust him to do it yet. Uh, Tristan Newton can't do it. And he can't do it. So Jordan Hawkins, great movement shooter that once you put him, I think with great creators, I think things open up a little bit more for him uh, can really just fire off of like real NBA level actions. And has real athleticism, six foot five, good defender. I don't trust him at all when he puts the ball on the deck. I don't trust him at all as a passer, but shooting, athleticism, reasonable defense, I will take a flyer. Totally agree right there. Uh, I was hoping that we would see a little bit more of a jump from him on the offensive end outside of the shooting. We haven't seen that. He's you know under 40% from the field in general and just not very efficient inside the arc. It's, I thought about taking him there and I kind of talked myself out of it because I haven't seen that level of growth. Okay, 28? Yep. 28. I'm going to go Leonard Miller. Again, this is more of the upside type of pick taken over and wanting to, wanting to go with somebody who I think could deliver a legitimate first-round return. When we started this podcast, one of the things that you said was maybe teams – in the late 20s are starting to take higher swings than normal because there aren't those reliable upperclassmen. I'm very strongly feeling that right now, which is part of the reason why we're going with Miller. Uh, Look, we haven't seen a ton from him, but finishing pretty effectively near the basket. There is touch to work with as a shooter, even though the mechanics are wildly inconsistent. Would like to see him get to the basket a little bit more, uh, but I think he's big. He rebounds for his kind of wing position and it's too intriguing of an athlete and skill combination to just write off as being not in this range. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm very glad to see that Jordan Hawkins went for 31 today. Oh, uh, I didn't let's go. watch any of that game. They lost, yeah. which is right. a disaster uh, to St. John's. But Good yeah, that, feel, that makes me feel better. Uh, okay. You went with Leonard Miller. That's not something that I would have done. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. I will take. I will just take the fly. This is gross. You know what this is, Adam? It's gross. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll take the flyer on Terrence Shannon. Sure. Athletic, you know, 6-6. Inconsistent shooter, I guess is the way to phrase it. Like, has moments where he really looks like he can shoot. Goes through hot streaks where you, like, almost buy it. But he has too much offhand interaction. Feels like all the time. He's a legit athlete by NBA standards, though. He is, you know, a guy that will be able to defend on the wing, which is really, really important. Uh, I think that he's kind of like stemmed the tide. He had that little stretch in the middle of the season where it felt like he was struggling to really kind of get anything from the Texas game to the Northwestern game. But if you look at their last three against Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Michigan State, he's averaging over 20 points per game again. The shot looks like it's at least like gotten some confidence back, even if the results aren't falling. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Terrence Shannon. That's fair. Uh, Look, the last one I went high upside swinging. This one, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go with somebody that I think would be within this range and a little bit more just reliable production. Uh, Julian Strother from Gonzaga, you know, big wing shooter, 14 a game, seven rebounds, over 40% from three, 37% from his career. This is his third year uh, as a junior playing at Gonzaga. Look, this is as much about not loving anybody else in this range as just really falling in love with Strother's game. But if you're a dependable team that has your stars in place, you're picking in the later part of the first round and and your, your aspirations are to win a championship in the next couple of years, having, you know, veteran role players who can space the floor is always valuable. And that's what Strother brings to the table. Okay. We're done. That's 30. Uh, Guys that we did not take. So let's like talk about some of the freshmen. Yeah. Right. So like Donovan Klingon, Jordan Walsh, Julian Phillips, Noah Clowney, um, you know, Terrence Arsenault to an extent, although I think it looks pretty clear that he's going to have to go back to school. Um, You know, I guess Tyrese Proctor, he had a great stretch yesterday where he looked terrific. Uh, You know, any, anyone else that like really stands out to you as a younger guy. I mean, Derek Lively has to be mentioned in that conversation. Um, You know, Khalil Ware for Oregon, another guy that we didn't end up taking. Dylan Mitchell at Texas, who ends up getting talked about a lot lot as first-round guys. You know, it's just – it's hard to know who's going to declare and who's not because every single one of these guys needs more time. They need it. But as we saw in the later part of this exercise, once we get to like 23, 24, we're kind of stretching to try to find guys. So it wouldn't shock me if a few of them end up declaring and saying, you know what, I've got enough upside to go in the first round. We've seen it in years past. It happened with Peyton Watson a year ago. Did not have a good showing at UCLA. Still ends up going in a pretty reasonable range. Patrick Baldwin Jr., same exact thing. So uh, for guys who have, you know what though, like the, the thing with those guys is like they were top five guys, yes, um, in their recruiting class that like really showcased. And I guess maybe Dylan Mitchell and Derek Lively this applies to, but like some of these other guys, like that doesn't really right. apply to. Um, Khalil Ware is another guy. Like I actually really strongly considered Khalil Ware with the last pick that I used on Shannon. Um, 
probably would have been my second pick there. So like you could say that he ended up being 31. Uh, I I buy the shooting shot blocking mix and the athleticism mix. And if I'm going to take a flyer on a big, like that's the combo of skills that I want uh, from a potential big. Uh, Adem Bona has been a little bit better recently in the Pac-12. You know, he's, he's still just not, his hands aren't quite good enough for me. His rebounding is not quite good enough for me. Uh, for someone that's going to play like the limited role that he's going to play. Uh, yeah. You know, Amari Bailey has been out since December, so we, we haven't seen him yet. And I don't even know if he's played a PAC 12 game outside of that. Uh, like early couple of like yeah. PAC 12 games that they did in like early December. I, I think I remember them playing Oregon if, if memory serves, but um, yeah. Interesting, interesting deal. Yeah, there are a lot of freshmen kind of on the fence there, and there are plenty of guys who have enough skill to be on a watch list, but I don't think I'd take them in the top 30 right now. Like Judah Mintz from Syracuse is a guy I've always liked, but he just doesn't shoot the ball well enough to be in consideration right here. Uh, you know, Mike Sharp jumps is a guy at Dayton that you've talked about a decent amount with size and feel and a little bit of playmaking. It just doesn't feel like he's going to be ready yet. Uh, there are so many guys in this freshman class that – are intriguing enough to someday be first round talents and players. Yeah. But it just does not feel like 2023 is going to be year the year that that all comes together. Yeah. Like someone like Jordan Walsh really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe we'll go through the comments here and talk about some of these guys that uh, some of the people have brought up. Right. So like Jordan Walsh is a guy that really stands out to me. Like I, I love him on defense. He's six, seven. He is the frame that I want. He's physical. He's strong. He's long. Like, has all of that skill. I think that there is some like latent passing ability that he hasn't shown as much at Arkansas that he did show at lower levels. He can't shoot. Like I don't trust him with the ball on the floor really even. Like I, I don't I don't think he could play in an offensive NBA game right now, if I'm being nope. completely transparent. Um, you know, and Monty Bates is another guy. I, I will say <laughs> strongly considered a Monty Bates at a certain point. If I'm being real, uh, you know, averaging 20.6 rebounds. I think the problem with Imani is it's just not going to be anything similar to this in the NBA. He's not good enough to have a ball in his hands all the time. And his defense is just not remotely good enough. His passing ability is not remotely good enough. Like it's, it's the ancillary skills. I buy him as a shooter and I buy him as like a shot creator, but he's not as good as a shot creator as like, you know, I'm trying to think of like a normal like NBA play. Like he is not as good of a shot creator as Emmanuel Quickly is right now. And Emmanuel Quickly is a great bench player who should be a starting point guard. But like you're not going to give the ball to Imani Bates over Emmanuel Quickly. You're not going to give the ball to Imani Bates over someone like Quentin Grimes. I just keep thinking of the Knicks because I fucking love the Knicks. <laughs> like um, you're not going to give Imani Bates the ball over Tyus Jones, right? Um just because those guys create efficient offense. So I do like them. Like I, I like the skill. I like six foot nine shooting ability, shot creation ability, real shake. I don't love the frame. I don't love the defense. I don't love the playmaking would still probably be like a top 40 ish top 45 ish pick for me. If well, he I, enters this class. I don't think people understand how, unbelievably efficient you have to be to make up for the lack of playmaking and the lack of defense that he brings to the table because he has no interest in doing either. Like I I ran the numbers last week. I don't know if it's changed. He had zero assists in almost half of their games. 
and he scored, I think, over 15 in all of them, all of those games where he had. Like, it's not a lack of playing time or opportunity. Like, he's out there to gun. And if that's your role, you have to be so unbelievably efficient in order to get a long leash on an NBA floor to do that. And he's just not there yet. Uh, Dalius S. brought up Zach Eady. I'm coming around on Zach Eady yeah. as a draft pick for sure. Um seven foot four plays physically has real touch that I think once he gets to the NBA, won't be afraid to stretch it out beyond the three point line. But I've done, if you want to yeah. watch something with me and Zach Eady, I've done like an hour long breakdown of Zach Eady's tape with Zach. Um, just search my YouTube channel for it. Uh, he is, he will tell you the only reason he doesn't take threes right now is because it would be selfish on his part. Basically like he can go down on the block and create a shot within five feet of the rim at will whenever he wants. Will he be able to do that in the NBA? Not at will, but like, I think he's going to be able to do it in spurts. I Like I'm worried about him on defense. I don't think yeah. he's going to be able to move in space, but like, I, I do think he is probably an NBA backup center. The more that I watch him. It, where would you take like Boban if he were a draft eligible type of prospect, like yeah. it's a very similar type of role where like in playoff series or against certain teams, he probably cannot come off the bench. But if you need a break glass in case of emergency offensive piece, who's really reliable, you, know, you can do a lot worse than Edie. I just don't know where that type of player gets drafted. No real feel for that. Yeah. A couple of other guys here. If you guys have anyone else while we're talking here, please sure. leave them in the comments and we'll kind of mention them real quick. Um, Tubelis is someone that Evan Glansman mentioned. Um, Tubelis has been really good recently as a scorer and is um, an offensive weapon. Again, another guy I just do not trust defensively. Um, I know that there will be some like soft Sabonis, you know, comparisons because they're lefties. Obviously, they both played for Tommy Lloyd. Like, there will be some of that, but I, I don't really see it with Tabellus in that way. Um, I know that he's shooting well from three, but like it's such limited volume. Yeah. I actually don't love the way the ball comes out either. Um, draftable for sure, yep. but like to me, more of a backup big, I think. I, I just struggle with big guys in particular, but anybody who in college level gets subbed off the floor for O and D or who isn't going to be on the floor in closing minutes. That's just, that's yeah. a struggle for me. And we've seen that continually from Arizona where against certain teams in the right matchup, they, they can't play him on the defensive end of the floor in closing situations. It's a worry. Yeah. Uh, Evan, I think also brought up Jalen Wilson at Kansas. Jalen Wilson's averaging like 20 and nine right now. I just don't buy him as a shooter, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, again, another guy that I would have top 45 uh, by the end of the year in this class. But yeah, uh, don't buy the shot enough. Like I, I actually kind of like Kevin McCullough a little bit more because I think that he does the things that translate to playing an NBA role as an elite level defender um, more so than Jalen Wilson having the ball in his hands all the time getting to create offense, which he won't be allowed to do in the NBA. Right, and the, the whole Jayhawk system on offense is built around getting him those touches and particularly trying to get him touches on the move because I don't think he's a great separator one-on-one -on -one when the defender's feet is set. That's just another worry of mine, particularly if the shot isn't as legitimate as it needs to be. Yeah, uh, Grape Ape mentions Noah Clowney. Have we talked about Noah Clowney on the podcast? I don't know. Not, I don't think on the pod. We've texted about him quite a bit, but I don't know if we've talked yeah. about him. 
and I've talked to him a lot with uh, NBA or talk about him a lot with NBA people. I like Noah Clowney for sure. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the positional archetype with Noah Clowney. Uh, he is something like six foot 10, 210, 205 pounds, something like that. Um, plays with great energy, a great motor, uh, really, really aggressive. Don't love his movement skills quite enough to like buy him as a four that's switchable. But also he's just like not quite big enough to play the five at the next level. I feel like, like Jaron Jackson struggles with like anchoring his spot, right? Uh, Jaron Jackson's like 35 pounds heavier than him. And like was at Michigan state. And I, I don't know, like the, the name that I bring up a lot with Noah Clowney is Chemezi Metu. I feel like um, he's kind of like in that zone where I think he's going to have to play the five. He'll be an undersized five, but I wonder if the rebounding translates quite as well as it does at Alabama, as it does to the NBA. And this is still an evolving evaluation. Like I'm, I am so willing to be wrong and for Noah Clowney to like showcase himself as an NBA player. It, this is still, we're still early enough in the process that like, I, I am here for it, but I think it's a little bit harder for these guys that are six ten, like, you know, even with the length that he has, he does have real length, I think. than it is for these guys that are like seven foot and skinny. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's a little bit hard. I think mobility goes a wrong a long way in that regard you've got to be really good at defending the perimeter particularly smaller guys as i think the nba is trending more towards uh positional versatility between threes and fours having a bunch of like six six to six eight wings that you can throw out there and maybe be able to guard up you've got to hang with those guys athletically and, and the one name like comparison wise that i can't get clowny ahead of on my board is a guy like Coleman Hawkins, who is just much more natural of an athlete and fluid mover, as well as being a, a decently you know, high-level processor of the game of basketball. Uh, I'm not totally in on Coleman, but I at least see the movement patterns and the mobility as saying, like, I can see how it would work a little bit better if he's defending on the wing. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's everyone. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't have a desire to talk about Keontae Johnson, so we're just going to no. move. So, sorry, I, I just I'm good without talking about him. Um, I think that's, I think that's it. Matthew Cleveland. I mean, he's just been not very good this year. He's, for being... he's been, he's been better of late, but it's still the, the, again, guys who don't shoot the ball and have a really long offensive leash to just go out there and put their head down and drive. Like, I don't love how that translates to the next level. Yeah. And like, look, I know that it says he's shooting 44% from three when I'm nice. looking at this. And I know he's, that like, he's not respected you know, he's, there. Averaging 17 and 10 and over the last 10 games. But yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he takes that leap. Yeah. Um, maybe he takes that leap. Yeah. He's been good of late. I mean, look, there are smaller guards and guys who I like, but I, I wouldn't take a smaller guard in like the top 35 to 40, like the Marcus Sasser or Mike miles from TCU. Like I, I like those guys as players. I just, I have a really hard time seeing how they fit on a modern NBA floor. Uh, you know, we've seen shooting regression from Jalen Clark a little bit of late, which dropped him from being knocking on the door in this range to me. 
Uh, I don't know where you're at on Tucker DeVries, but like there's, he's always been a guy that I've, I've, I've liked, but I just, I don't know how the defensive worries really get compensated when he's not shooting the ball as effectively as I'd hoped. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Tell the people everything they need to know about how to find Adam Spinella on YouTube, how to find the box in one newsletter, how to find everything that's going on with you. Well, thanks for having me on Sam. This was a lot of fun. Uh, good marathon episode for us to get through here. Find me on Twitter at the box and one underscore my Substack page, the box and We're on YouTube. My name, Adam Spinella just published a Max Lewis video earlier today. I have the companion piece coming out tomorrow and actually a project I'm really excited for later in the week. Can't really put a date on that yet. But breaking down several lottery prospects, I calling it at their worst, how other teams have really game planned for taking certain things away and what it reveals about the aspects of their game they need to work on the most. So that's been a fun film project to dive into. Look for that in the later parts of the week. Okay, that has been the Game Theory Podcast. I will have a project coming up with Danny LaRue and Seth Partnow at some point this week talking about the NBA. I will have something on the Rockets, actually, that I'm really excited to kind of talk through with Kelly Eco uh, over the next couple of days that will come out this week. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.